Hey there, listeners. This is Justin with a quick note before today's episode. Spotify recently allowed users to start leaving reviews for podcasts, and I would greatly appreciate it if you would consider listening to the show on Spotify, leaving us a positive review. I don't even think you have to write anything in. You just get a star rating and that's it. But uh, if you're willing to do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks and enjoy today's show. Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Asiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today's episode number 430, The Unexpected Entrepreneur with Chris Anthony at TeamWorks Security. I've read probably 27 books to date on how to be an entrepreneur and you know how to run a business and what does success look like and how do you do accounting and HR and all this stuff. The one takeaway I always tell everybody is that every single book that I've read is correct. They're all right. They all say the things that I've experienced. And the challenge is, is figuring out which ones work for you and you only. Well, despite your career intentions, today is a great episode with a lot to uh, to learn from Chris. We start talking about his unexpected departure from the Army. He'd planned on 20 years and due to an injury left at the 11-year point. We talk about the lily pads that he went on through the Department of Defense, Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory, and ultimately starting his own company. And it stands out to me that this is the one of the first stories where the entrepreneur that I interviewed didn't set out to be an entrepreneur. They were kind of pulled into it. And we talk about, you know, in any career path, how you just do one thing to the next, and eventually it leads you to what you really want to do if you're approaching it with an open mindset. We talk about the mentoring work he does with veterans every single Wednesday, so he's got a lot of great transitioning advice. We talk about being willing to try new things and fall on your face, and a lot more. As always at beyondtheuniform.org, You'll find show notes with resources for this episode and every links to everything we discuss and over 429 other episodes just like this one. So with that, let's dive in to my conversation with Chris. Joining me today in Columbia, Maryland, my guest is Chris Anthony. Chris, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. I'm glad to be here. So I want to give our listeners a quick background on Chris. He's the founder and CEO of Teamwork Security, a data science and software engineering firm focused on creating intelligent workforce solutions for cybersecurity and incident response, advanced malware analysis, threat intelligence analysis, enterprise communication, and critical infrastructure support. Chris started his career in the U.S. Army with the 75th Ranger Regiment, where he served for 11 years. And I'm going to give you room to correct me if I'm wrong on this. Uh, He spent five and a half years at the Department of Defense as the Threat Operations Chief, and then spent over four years at the Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory as a cyber and threat intelligence security researcher. He started Teamwork Security over five years ago, and he's grown to over 20 employees So let me first make space. Anything to correct or amend or add to that bio? It's all correct. Okay. (laughs) Uh, You never know. I'm always piecing things together from public sources, so I never know. We're going to rewind the clock in a second, but I want to start with where you are today. And so you're walking down the street in Columbia. You run into another Army veteran. He says, oh, Chris, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that? 
I'm an entrepreneur. I talk about that often. And I had this opportunity a little over five years ago to start my own business. I didn't know a whole lot about that, but then I've learned over the past five years. So it's easy to say that I'm the CEO of a tech company here in Maryland, but more often than not, I like to tell people that I'm an entrepreneur. That's great. Let's rewind the clock. Talk about you're at 11 years in the army. That's always a difficult position. I know a lot of people feel the drive or that, I don't want to say obligation, but that hanging, dangling incentive to stay in for 20. So 11 is a difficult time. Can you walk us through the career transition and then how you chose to go on to the Department of Defense? So the transition was easy. I got hurt. And my military career, you know, I was one of those folks that had a 20-year plan. When I joined the military in 1995, I went to a local recruiter and I asked for the most difficult, maybe the craziest thing that I can sign up for. And he signed me up for what they called back then the Airborne Ranger contract. That allowed me to go from basic to your advanced training into airborne school and then to try out uh, to become part of the uh, Army's Ranger Regiment in Fort Benning. I did all of that and made my way in. And within the first few years that I realized, you know, I really like what I'm doing. And I was gaining rank quickly. I was successfully navigating the various courses and the challenges that a special operations unit like the Ranger Regiment uh, has and does. And that initial three or four year enlistment became a 20 year goal. I wanted to spend the first 10 years as an enlisted soldier and then go to OCS, which is right down the street from uh, the Ranger Regiment there at Fort Benning and spend the next 10 years back in uh, special operations as an infantry officer. And that all changed. Uh, I got hurt probably around nine and a half, 10 years in, and I had my OCS package in hand, ready to go. Mm. And my life suddenly changed. And that change was I had gotten into an accident where my shoulder went a particular way while my body went the other way, resulted in a number of corrective surgeries and a number of other ailments. But that was the primary one that basically forced me to to wake up one day and realize my 20-year plan has changed. You know, I was fighting the medical retirement, the medical board, and it was a sudden life change. You know, it was one of those proverbial crucibles in life where you wake up with a very tough decision. Luckily, I was part of a great organization or a couple of different organizations with the special operations community. What that resulted in was working with and being led by some of our country's best leaders. And in that process, in those years that I spent there, a lot of them encouraged me to continue going to school to get my degree, continuing to seek self-improvement, continuing to learn how to lead and understand what that means. So by the time my injury happened and my life was about to change, I had been preparing not only uh, just finishing my undergrad, but on to my, my graduate degree. And this thing called computers and computer security were just starting to uh, uh, be talked about across the Department of Defense. What you may not know, what a lot of people don't know, is that when Stan McChrystal, he was uh, Colonel McChrystal in the Ranger Regiment back in the mid-90s, and he wanted to introduce computers and computer networking and IT enterprise to an infantry organization, to a special operations organization. Just think about that for a second. 
In 96, 97, here we had this very forward-looking leader, uh, commander, and who wanted to bring computers in. And the goal was to optimize and create efficiencies within the organization and how we communicated, how we were able to collaborate, not just within the organization, but with all of our partners, you know, the joint special operations community. We still used telephones back then. We didn't have cell phones. And email was just starting to come into, into vogue. And here we had uh, at the time Colonel McChrystal saying, you know what, we need to use this new technology and innovation to optimize who we are as a special operations organization, and not only how we train and fight, but how we plan and collaborate. And that was a big deal back then. And we didn't think about it at the time, but all of these years later, it's what helped me get to where I'm at today. All those things you just said about the things that I've done throughout my career to this point, all point back to those you know, mid to late 90s into the early 2000s and what we did in the special operations community. If you can take an operations order, right? Very standard military operations order, which back in the mid 90s took on average five, maybe seven days, depending on how many partners you brought into the process. Because you know, back then we would walk to a meeting take notes with a pen and paper and go walk back to my organization, distribute what I had learned to the entire team. And we would plan, we would take more notes and then walk back to the main organization and take more notes or do this over phone. In 96 and 97, we introduced a computer network, you know, a local area network back then that helped all of us communicate via chat, if you, if you can believe that. It was called ICQ or ICQ, right? That was one of the first and uh, early chat uh, open source platforms. And we used Outlook to help coordinate calendars. And we used things like Word documents to take notes. We essentially reduced the op orders planning from about five to seven days to about three days, maybe two to three days across multiple organizations, almost in real time. And we were able to communicate that a lot more effectively and efficiently. And uh, it was my introduction to some of the problems that we still have today, not only in this industry, but every industry. You know, how can humans and technology work better? And if they can figure that out, how can you create efficiencies doing one or the other? Love that. And two things I just want to track for listeners. First, I love this long lens on this evolution of, of technology, especially as it relates to what you're doing now. But I want to just underscore for listeners, you've probably already realized this, you know, five to seven days to two to three days is unbelievable, right? That is literally cutting in half any process is an unbelievable achievement. And so I just want to like point that right there, that that was like yeah. massive, even though the technologies you're describing, and I remember ICQ and all of that, but like I, the technologies you're describing feel antiquated. And yet I'm trying to put myself in your shoes at the time. That is an unbelievable shift. And I can't think of a single business that if you took anything they do and cut the time in half, that wouldn't dramatically change their business yeah. trajectory. So that's one thing. And then second of all, I'm really appreciating the way that you're telling the story. But I also just want to remind listeners, it, it's very easy for, for Chris and for anyone to like look back in retrospect and see these foundational events that impact our lives. And I want to remind listeners who maybe are on active duty, there are very likely things occurring around you that you don't even realize is significant. But 20 years from now, you're going to look back and it could be a leader, it could be an experience, it could be, you know, whatever it is that will play a role in your 
eventual career or life journey. But when you're in it, you don't really realize that. And I just say that right. to depressure it for our audience that like, you know, I'm the same way. I can look back now and read the tea leaves and see, but in the time it was chaos. It was unknown. It was ambiguity, which you and I both know from entrepreneurship is the world in which we operate. But I'm really appreciating kind of the milestones that you're pointing out because I realize the significance as it relates to your current role. As you were saying that, I was just thinking, you know, how do you do that to my nine-year-old today? Some of the young kids today, it's like, how can you convince them to say, you know, if you just do this a little bit more often and maybe learn from it, you know, it'll pay off in 10 years. Or if you work a little bit harder today, it will pay off when you go to college. So, you know, these life lessons happen right in front of you. Oftentimes, you know, you don't recognize it or even appreciate it until years later. Yeah. You know, I turned 40 recently and now I'm I'm realizing we just live such long lives as human and we humans, we accumulate so much knowledge. And I'm just seeing the pre-40 self where I just really wasn't less interested in hearing other people's stories or perspective or advice. And you, you know, it's kind of a stereotype that a high schooler needs to experience everything and is not willing to listen to the wisdom of their elder. And as someone on his way to becoming an elder, I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna have all this knowledge and no one's gonna care. <laughs> But I think you're right. It's it's at least shifting in this moment and saying, okay, well, how yeah. can I learn from others and how can I right. soak that in, even if I wasn't open to it mm-hmm. earlier in my life? This is um, entrepreneurship is certainly one of those things where you you want to be able to learn faster. You want to be able to observe. You want to be able to listen better. I can't talk about enough about being an entrepreneur, and I'm still learning what that really means. And the learning opportunities that present itself every single day is the things that I wake up every day looking forward to. So yeah, certainly a wild ride. I love that. So let's pick up the thread on Department of Defense then. What does that chapter look like or what do you extract from that on your journey? When my life changed suddenly... I mentor veterans today, usually on Wednesdays, about their transition from the military. And today, there are a lot of programs and opportunities and outreach to transitioning military folks, much more so than when I had done that. Becoming a government civilian was something that it was a great job. It was something that you can do for the rest of your life. In hindsight, it's also something that was very safe, right? It was very easy for me to say, you know, yes, I want to work, continue to working alongside the men and women in uniform and being part of the mission. You know, those are the things that I missed within that first year. I became a contractor for just a few months, right? It was one of the first jobs that somebody came out and said, hey, I want to hire you to be able to do these things. It was a great job. It took me out of my element. Again, you know, everything that I had known for the past almost between 11 and 12 years and put me in a different environment and everything changed. So there was a a wake-up call there. And I got several phone calls within that first few months saying, you know, we would like to offer you a, a position as a government civilian. It's an honor to have that position. I think those positions within the government are hard to come by. You can easily make that into a lifelong career. But for me, it was a chance to be part of what's the next chapter in my life. I know I loved hunting threats. I know I loved analyzing threats and understanding threats. And I know I love the mission. And in this particular position, I was able to do all of those things all within the same organization. And it really opened my eyes to this whole new world as a civilian. I spent almost five years doing that. And I don't talk about that too much. Most of the things that I did in that particular part of my career were, were somewhat classified. But much like when I joined the Army, I was 
in a very successful position in a very successful career. And I woke up one day and realized there's got to be something better. Join the army. I got hurt and I was forced to make a hard decision and became a civilian. I became a civilian for almost four and a half years. And I woke up one day and said, you know, I understand that this is a lifelong opportunity, but I am in my maybe late 30s, early 40s. I've got to go out there and do something. I, I got to go out there and experience something else. It's just not, it's just not done. I had this opportunity to join an organization from being a government civilian to then becoming this thing called an academic. I wasn't familiar with the applied physics lab here in Maryland. Of course, I was familiar with Johns Hopkins University, which the applied physics lab is part of, but that became the next chapter going from a civilian to becoming an academic kind of, you know, crucibles in life that you have to figure out how to navigate. I loved being a chief or someone in charge of those responsible for protecting a mission or protecting an IT enterprise or protecting something. I've always enjoyed that, not to take anything away from that, but in the end, it just wasn't for me. And I felt like I needed to continue growing outside of that and always look for opportunities to do that and wound up here in Maryland. I, I love that. And again, we, we have the tidiness of seeing this in retrospect. When I left the military, how much pressure I put on myself to find the right thing. Yeah. And one of the things I'm appreciating about in your story is that you had you know, this 10, 11-year stint in the Army and unexpected departure. And then you had a five-year stint at Department of Defense and you learned things there and you realize a little bit more about what you're wanting. And of course, we're changing in the span of half a decade and what we're wanting. So you then take a step into becoming an academic Academic. And, you know, sometimes I wish that for my younger self and for listeners, we could take more of the all you can eat buffet approach to a career yeah. of like load up the plate with, you know, lobster and see if you like that and then load it up with something else. And just don't feel like you got to just order one meal, but it gets some exposure and learn about what you yeah. like and dislike and more about yourself. And I get excited hearing about the Johns Hopkins chapter because I know that that's you know, a big milestone in the birth of your company. And so share a little bit more about, you know, what that experience was like, but also the origin story of teamwork security. Yeah. You just said something that uh, made me remember and realize that the military for me was very much like loading your plate, you know, full of, you know, this versus that. You had the opportunity to try a number of things, right? You had a number of opportunities to grow into different positions or even leadership positions. And that's kind of been that thing throughout my entire life, whatever that thing is called, you know, I look for those opportunities to continue growing and uh, spreading your wings, if you will. You know, APL is one of those organizations that allows you to go into an environment and build almost anything you can build or want to build or dream as big as you can dream. And what I mean by that is a university-affiliated research center, which APL is, right? There's only, I think, maybe 14 or 15 in the country long and storied history going back to World War II. I was introduced to this organization as this environment where I can dream of building anything that I believe would help make our the government's mission, the Department of Defense mission better, more efficient, more innovative. And they gave me this opportunity to just come up with anything that we thought would be helpful. And ironically, I looked at APL as Again, another organization that I could be here for the rest of my life, my working life. I was actually working on my PhD, and I really wanted to embody what it meant to being an academic. 
right? And I was teaching at uh, Johns Hopkins University and the University of South Florida at the same time, which I had been teaching in my military career and something I've always loved doing. And becoming an academic was, you know, new and exciting to me. And uh, it allowed me to grow outside of the norm and outside of, you know, this box kind of thing. And that led to me in a small team meeting at the time, General Alexander. General Alexander was the commander of United States uh, Cyber Command back then. He had challenged not only APL, but, you know, all types of research organizations around the country and around the world to help him build, you know, what cyber is supposed to be in the future, right? Help bring innovation and, and really put this new cyber mission on this pedestal because it was soon becoming everything that we do. It is part of everything we are and how we communicate. It's almost everything that surrounds us in this world of technology. Uh, and he had the foresight to see that. So again, I had this opportunity to work with this very forward-leaning uh, commanding officer and bringing offense and defense and intelligence and decision-making into an environment where we all spoke the same language and were able to uh, work together using technology and innovation and hoping to find better ways and more efficiencies in how we did that was, again, another opportunity for me to put my thinking cap on. And we created this prototype platform that we believe would help non-technical and technical people collaborate more efficiently in real time. Going back to my days as uh, an infantryman in, in planning, you know, doing an op orders plan where you had comms and operations and people who get the vehicles, the different J codes all working together. Well, cyber is no different. And I felt that if I can create something that everybody can work on together at the same time and it can bring these conversations together using some very simple analytics and the ability to chat, the ability to organize and manage workflow between, you know, two or more people that we can find a better way and more efficient way to fight in cyber. So we created a platform, a very prototype platform called Marty, which is mission analysis and research of threat information. And we had the opportunity to bring Marty to a very brand new cyber exercise in the military in order to practice what we do, we get together and we create these things called exercises. And I brought Marty to an exercise and we quickly realized that, oh, we've got Intel folks who are not technical, communicating to cybersecurity folks who are highly technical, helping and working alongside and with decision makers on both sides. And that we can take, you know, what we call today data to decisions much faster would that make a difference in how we fight in cyber? And the answer was yes. So Marty also happens to be the name of my daughter. And at the time, Marty was, I think, four years old. And if you're going to take technical and non-technical people, bring them together into any type of environment. One of the big barriers is learning how to communicate with each other. And we felt that we could do that really well. And if I can build a platform that was so easy to use, so intuitive, that anybody, to include a four-year-old, can start playing around with it and start navigating the platform, maybe it would work in these, you know, sometimes and often complex environments. And it did. And there was a lot of attention and buzz around uh, Marty uh, while I was an academic at APL. 
And folks like the National Guard and, you know, one of their missions and state and local governments and this whole protection of critical infrastructure industries, we were getting a lot of attention back then. And there were a number of recommendations from senior leadership at APL to consider spinning off and commercializing what we had built. And I had never heard that before. (laughs) I mean, it was kind of a a crazy thing to even think of because, you know, I wasn't an entrepreneur um, and to just go out into the world all by myself (laughs) and do this. Well, that was cray cray. And uh, we didn't uh, take it seriously until about maybe six or seven or eight months into this. The Department of Defense and an organization within the, the Pentagon had written a 67 page letter or document or whatever you want to call it, report that got a hold of Marty and the experiences that we had created and put in the report that, uh, with a few other things, that Marty and the concept behind Marty would be how we fight in cyberspace going, going forward in the future. So it was that recommendation that tipped the all of the things that goes into making a large decision <laughs> like that to maybe we will spin this thing off. And we launched Teamwork Security in October of 2016. We completely started over. We uh, built everything from the ground up because Marty was a prototype and didn't scale. And we took the very same or very similar concepts and started learning how to become an entrepreneur. So today we often say that building the tech is easy. Bringing people together is not as easy, but it's doable. Building a business around that, super difficult. You know, finding your market fit and finding your audience and your customers and understanding their needs and wants. And we've been around for little over five years now. And Marty, the commercial version of Marty, we call Hive IQ. We have a little over 1,200 users across our environments and we're continuing to build. We've actually got four products that are all licensed. The big hurdle here, I think we're going to talk about that, is we wanted to continue working for the government, the Department of Defense, and who we still work for. And that became yet another you know, life lesson, a crucible. How do you do that? Building the tech is easy. How do you sell it to a customer who doing business with them is often difficult? And uh, we still do that today. We still learn, but we're getting better and better at it every single day. I love so much here. I didn't want to interrupt because there were so many great gems here, but I want to put something forth and have you correct me or maybe tweak this. But one thing that emerges from your story, and I, you know, I've interviewed so many entrepreneurs, is I see a parallel universe where you did play out the remainder of your working career at APL. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes the entrepreneurs I interview, that was, you know, they kind of have the through line back to the lemonade stand or whatever else. Whether it's true or revisionist history, they kind of see that. Or, you know, just like the people I went to the Naval Academy with that saw Top Gun, they're like, I'm going to do that. And they go out and do it. So sometimes you see these entrepreneurs who know that that's what they want to do and they're kind of consistently going towards it. But in your case, it, it almost feels like it was an incidental thing where you know you, you were enjoying this life as an academic. It wasn't something you set out to do. And it was almost, it feels as if it was almost thrust on you. And I'm wondering, like, is that true? Like, do you see times in your life where you aspired to create a company? Was this something that was a an end goal or was it this unexpected off-ramp on the freeway of academia? You know, totally unexpected. You know, throughout my career, I think I've always navigated towards, you know, tough and rough times, right? Going back as an infantryman in special operations, I think uh, you just kind of run towards that proverbial gunfire. In this case, there was this challenge. 
And we were getting a lot of attention and it was not something I was trained or prepared to do, though another conversation will talk about the military veteran who's, I think, well prepped to do this. It was just something where the opportunity was right there. It was, I used to jump out of airplanes. It was the door is open and the green light comes on. You can either sit there, get out of the way and let somebody else do it, or you can just jump. And it was that moment of, I will never have this opportunity again at my age uh, to do this. And there was some conjoling and uh, I I have a a business partner, a a co-founder, and her and I really worked through this and we came up with the best plan and try to set as many expectations as possible and just jumped. There was nothing there saying you were going to (laughs) succeed. There was more failure, you know, in the way of success than anything I had encountered my entire life. Even today, five years, I think that we understand what success looks like and we know how to do, you know, repeat formula to produce more success, but we're still getting better and we're still improving. I'm cognizant we've got about 15 minutes left and there's so many things I want to ask about. I don't even know how to ask the question. So first of all, I just want to plant the seed. Like I've seen on your site or, or I've heard you guys say like your Slack for the intelligence community. And yeah. for listeners who are on active duty and might not use Slack, it's a very, very popular communication tool. I use it. I communicate with a distributed team. And, and it, so the analogy really hit home when I heard that. That for me was like yeah. instantly I'm like, oh man, Slack. But then all of the security concerns of the military, I'm like, I'm like, that's that's a very compelling pitch. One thing I'm aware of is that you come from a military background like me, like on a submarine, failure is a $2 billion mistake and 200 people could lose their lives. Like very, very strong trigger, the thought of failure. Right. And then you're an entrepreneurship where failure is a part of everyday life and necessary to learn, but you're also in an industry with incredibly high stakes. And I'm just kind of curious your thinking about failure in your organization. I'm imagining there's areas where failure is not an option, but it just seems to me this like amazing blending of the two experiences I've had with failure, military and entrepreneurship, whereas they're as opposite as I can imagine on the scale of things. You know, failure is built into our business model and it is something that I learned to cope with every single day. It's easy again to look back as an infantryman, right? If you're going to go walk 12 miles, which we did, uh, I think every week, you know, we'd put on the full battle rattle and go walk. And, you know, there's actually ways to walk more comfortably, you know, over long distances. But that is, again, through trial and error. How to uh, fire a weapon, how to be part of a crew serve weapon system, how to be an infantryman and how to be a threat analyst, and how to be these certain things. There's a lot of trial and error and it may seem uncomfortable and to make a mistake. It certainly is. But making mistakes is built into our business model. Uh, we encourage uh, ourselves and the whole company to go out there and explore and to take some chances. And our, our general rule of thumb is that it's okay to make a mistake. Try not to make the same one twice. And my co-founder is even more of an academic than I could ever imagine. And she had been there for a long time and she is kind of the the poster model for academic. And she was very successful in her career. It's still more difficult for her to experience mistakes and sometimes failure, though it's more comfortable today, very difficult for her in the beginning because academics try to eliminate all types of, you know, uncertainty. For me, jumping out of an airplane, I mean, geez, anything can go wrong, but you just got to do it. I love that. I also wanted to ask about in terms of the industry that you've chosen to play in that I find very intimidating, 
as well as the geographic area that you're in. Like I think of SCIC and Lockheed Martin and Booz Allen Hamilton. These are like trillion dollar yes. companies. And I'm envisioning that this 20 plus person company, that's your competitor. And I'm just kind of curious what that is like starting this relatively fledgling company amidst these giants. So that's, that's a good point. We say this often to ourselves. We are in the land of giants here in Columbia, Maryland. We are surrounded by giants. Yes. It is the one thing that motivates me every single day. We know as a company what differentiates us from them. We have a lot of respect for them because they help build this industry to which we work in. Uh, but we know what we do extremely well. We don't try to do everything. And as a small company, we are much faster and we can develop things much faster. But it's also that wake-up call. I don't mind today operating in the land of giants because I know how to walk. I know how to navigate and I know what successes or at least where to look. And knowing how to survive with those types of things and knowing what differentiates you from them, super important. And if you don't know that, then failures, you know, there's a high likelihood for that. Maybe this will fall flat, but my quick anecdote is we have a dog that was on the scene before I met my wife, Hemingway. He's a Jack Russell Chihuahua mix, a very tiny dog. And he, <laughs> you know, will get out at our window and he's just barking incessantly at squirrels. And I'm I'm always yelling at him, like, you got to pick better adversaries. Like you, yeah. you, know, you can't you can't pick this tiny squirrel, and that's your nemesis. And what I really admire is like you have picked worthy adversaries. And I I know that it's not hundred percent competitive at all times. There's ways that you respect them and learn from them and have different swim, swim lane. But yeah. what I admire is the story that I'm telling myself is by choosing these massive companies as your neighbors, you got to play a bigger game. I see myself and I see others when they pick their nemesis and they pick these weakling of a nemesis. It's like, you're not going to force yeah. yourself to grow in a way that's going to best serve you in the organization. So I just really respect how you've picked some really, really credible quote unquote enemies, but that's causing you and your team to punch way above your weight to solve bigger problems and do it, it faster and more innovatively. We literally look up to them. Their buildings are much bigger than ours. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I know that you do a lot of work, you know, mentoring veterans. And I'm curious if there's any, you know, if you've got a megaphone right now, any advice to share either about career transition or entrepreneurship, or just kind of a common misconceptions. I mm -hmm. want to give you a little bit of room to roam of just common advice that you find yourself giving to veterans. One thing I often say, I mean, in fact, I say this to everybody, when you transition from the military or this life in this world that you've known for how many years you've done that, it's okay to go out into the world and continue looking until you find that thing. It's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to find a job or a career that you may wake up one day and realize, you know, this isn't for me. But another aspect of the transition is knowing that it's okay to not know what you want to do, right? That's the biggest thing. I came out with this plan. I came out with this, you know, this is how I'm going to execute the next six to 12 months while I figure things out. And I got all of that wrong. I talked to so many different people throughout the year and we all get it wrong, right? Because different life. There's a different expectation. In some cases, it's even a different language. And it's okay to not know. And it's okay to take chances. And it's, it's okay to be happy. And if you find a position that you thought you would be happy in and realize that maybe this isn't for you, it's okay to change that, right? 
take your status as a veteran and stand there. It's a point of pride for everybody. You earned it. It's something that nobody can take away from you. And whether you choose to use your status as a veteran or not, completely up to you, right? But know that you've earned it. And we on this side, you know, appreciate everything that you've done. There is a lot of other folks like me that are willing to step in and help if you need it. Because if you aren't falling flat on your face from time to time, maybe you haven't looked hard enough for whatever it is you're searching for. There's so much there that I like. I just love the permission there, but I just want to just really highlight that last point that you made of, it's just really powerful. I think you exemplify this where if you're not falling flat on your face, maybe you need to rethink your ambitions. Maybe you need to rethink your relationship to your comfort. I see the transition from army to DOD. At the time, that's a big shift. And you get comfortable there, you get information. And then I imagine at the time, and even now, DOD to Johns Hopkins, that is a really big shift. And then, yeah, but then, you know, then Johns Hopkins to entrepreneurship, that really is the analogy of out the airplane. And part of me feels like the only reason you were able to take that eventual leap was you were building that habit of leaping into the unknown and being willing to fall on your face. So I just love that example of the habit of falling on your face and being okay, because that's that's really what's gotten you here. I think it's easy to look back and say that. I think sitting still has always been my problem ever since I was a small child. I'm still today unable to sit still for long periods of time. I always had to keep moving. And um, man, I'll tell you what, the military for me was that opportunity just to, I can move as quickly as I wanted to move, right? Uh, I think entrepreneurship is very similar to that. And I think academia has its pluses and minuses in that regard, working for the DOD. So you're right. There's a lot of things that I still feel like I want to experience. And now being an entrepreneur, if I'm not doing this tomorrow, I think that I will be part of some sort of entrepreneurial effort going forward, whatever that may be. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. Uh, I also speak for myself too. It is kind of addicting when you get used to the thought where you can just, you know, drive really quickly and, and create right. solutions. It becomes intoxicating and starts to change the way you view the, view the world because when you see problems, actually that, you know, I experienced that in the military too, on submarines even. Like I, I experienced a problem and came up with a solution. And so I feel like a lot of people don't recognize that about the military. They view it as rigid and structured and unchangeable. But my experience was you could actually, you could, like, as you said, I could move as quickly as I want to move. Like there were so many aspects of that and the parallels for entrepreneurship are pretty strong. Absolutely. I think today's military, a little bit different than the military that I served in. They encourage more of that. You know, if there's something that you can prove, we're all ears, right? Now they have uh, big programs across all the services and to include the Department of Defense. If you see a way to improve it, you know, we may even send you to school to figure out how to write code to build something that will improve or fix what you're doing. And I love that. You know, these things that I wish I could have had access to, and I'm sure every generation of military folks say the same thing, but what a great organization to be part of. Both DOD, active duty, uh, guard and reserves, for sure. Awesome. I always like to keep the last question open-ended and and I'll make it actually two parts. One is, you know, how can people follow you if they want to stay abreast of what you're doing with teamwork security. Mm-hmm. But but more importantly, what, what have we not talked about that you want to make sure listeners know before we wrap up? The first thing is, is, you know, you can find me on, on LinkedIn. I feel like that my community, the folks that I've 
worked with over the past 10, 20 years are often found on LinkedIn, not so much some of the other platform kind of person. But, you know, I, I like to talk about uh, transitioning military and entrepreneurship. What I want to talk about is, you know, how do you run a business? You know, I think we'll get into this in the future, but there's a lot of lessons that I've learned along the way, and some are unique to me and some aren't. Starting this business five years ago, you know, I don't have a, a business degree. My degrees are, are more technical. And I had to learn to overcome a lot of obstacles. And I learned uh, by picking up a book. You can say, well, you know, I've read this book and it helped me do this. And that's great. I've read probably 27 books to date on how to be an entrepreneur and, you know, how to run a business and what does success look like and how do you do accounting and HR and all this stuff. The one takeaway I always tell everybody is that every single book that I've read is correct. They're all right. They all say the things that I've experienced. And the challenge is, is figuring out which ones work for you and you only, right? Experimenting and taking some chances and accepting some risk. I like talking about that as somebody who leads this, this growing business. There's no magic bullet. There's no magic formula. That magic formula is the formula that you and your team create on your journey to finding success. I think it's important to talk about. There's a number of ways to learn, figure out what works best for you and go with it. That is great advice, regardless of uh, career path for listeners. And for listeners at beyondtheuniform.org, we'll have show notes with links to everything we discussed, including Chris's LinkedIn profile, his company teamwork security, and more. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. All right. Thank you, Justin. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our Chief of Staff, Steve Bain, our Editor, Lex Brown, and our Head of Social Media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for-purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.